Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to go out on this treasure trove worth of conversation, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Yeah, man, I'm hoping this ends up more like gold bars than an empty chest. That would be <laughs> preferable. <laughs> or, or fool's gold. Hopefully we don't run into that. <laughs> Nate, Nate ends up with a lot of, like, whiffs, too. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's iffy. We'll, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> this week we are talking, of course, about our highly anticipated game-turned-movie, Uncharted. I feel like that's how it's supposed to be said, even though it's never said that way. I just, I want to call it like uncharted, you know, in a world. I don't, anyway. Oh, no. no. No? Okay. No. Maybe not. No. No? No. How would you say <laughs> it? Would you say uncharted? Uncharted. Yeah. Uncharted. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> uncharted. Okay. I'll stop doing that. <laughs> well, did it live up to our expectation or did it go down in a blaze of glory? Aaron, let's not keep the people waiting. This is your official spoiler warning as we will be talking about this movie in detail, like we always do. That being said, here we go. <laughs> well, it's no surprise that this was highly anticipated for both of us, but specifically for you, Aaron. You have got a nice intimate history with this video game franchise. I believe at one point, you confess this is your favorite video game series of all time. Is that true? Is it still true? Well. This could be a lengthy explanation because I'm going to answer that. (laughs) That's a yes or no question, but I'm not going to just say yes or no. Okay. No, it is not my favorite of all time, but I need to qualify that, right? My favorite of all time is The Last of Us, and that is also from the same maker of Uncharted, Naughty Dog Studio. So they're tied together in that way, but I would say it's probably my second favorite video game series of all time and I adore them and I just have a deep love of everything to do with this style of adventure that involves some sort of artifact, mythology, treasure, hunting as part of it, whether it's an Indiana Jones or a romancing the stone and these movies that I grew up on in the eighties. And then it led into playing the tomb Raider video games and being completely smitten with Lara Croft, both as a pixelated gorgeous wannabe girlfriend and also an amazingly like badass adventurer. And then, you know, we got the pirates of the Caribbean, which is sort of a new twist on this type of adventure. And I fell in love with that. And then we got Uncharted in the mid to early 2000s coming out and starting this great series with a new adventurer. And I think, honestly, it was that time in my life where Nate was a guy who was in his seemingly 30s and I could sort of relate to him very personally where indie you know i was a kid when i was watching indie movies and by the time i was old enough to kind of really lock into those harrison ford in real life was much older but i kind of grew up with nate drake and experiencing that narrative that they strung together over four plus games is really something that i had considered a great special part of my video game history and i just Love the characters, every single one of them. I've watched spinoff short films and I've read the single like extra novel that came out about the series and I've just consumed everything. You know, I have a Nathan Drake poster on my wall. I have a replica of Drake's ring that I actually wore to the theater for good luck. It worked, I think. And, you know, I just really enjoy this and I have, they don't, we don't get stuff like this of a high quality. And so those games were able to present a version of this type of energetic action adventure movie that frankly movies struggle with. And so I've always loved them. I've replayed them multiple times and yeah, that's kind of came into this with a lot of 
feelings because of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, unlegitimate feelings from from what you're telling me. I remember when you started telling me about it, and I think it was actually, I don't remember when the time frame was. My wife is very accurate when she says that I can't think of accurate time frames when I say it happened in the past. Like, I feel like everything was 10 years ago, even though we've been married for 13. I said, man, when I got my license 10 years ago, I was able to, she's like, no, that's not what happened. So several years ago, PlayStation was having a sale on the Uncharted series at the time. Well, you know, all four of them had come out. And I believe the first three were on sale as a trilogy. And you said to me, if you promise to play them, I will buy them for you. And I said, okay, I'm not going to say no to somebody buying me video games. Well, as a casual gamer as I am, it took me a little bit to get started. I took advantage of the times when I traveled to take my PlayStation with me. And it was actually on every trip that I've taken or any trip that I've taken that I've played Uncharted. So Uncharted was my travel game. So like Nathan, I'm going on adventures to different places with him. And I began to, I knocked out the first one, really enjoyed it. The second one blew my mind at how much of a leap it was from the first. The third one was okay. And then the fourth one was just really good again. And so being able to go through that series and share that with you. It was just a lot of fun. And like you mentioned, seeing Nathan Drake's history, seeing his life sort of portrayed on screen, seeing, I say screen, the small screen, the game screen, but watching his his own mythology play out along with the mythology of the adventures that he was on was really cool because we're we're really getting to know him. We follow along with his story and Sully and all these characters, Elena, that we go forward and backward. So we're able to really get to know him as a character, much like we do with Indiana Jones or Jack Sparrow. And I think I have those similar feelings where this feels like both a classic and a modern adventure story where you have these elements that remind me of Indiana Jones. And they're not unapologetic. Naughty Dog is very unapologetic about the fact that they want to make you feel like you're in that swashbuckling adventure Robin Hood meets Indiana Jones, but with a fresh coat of paint on it. And I fell in love with Nathan. I fell in love with Sully. I fell in love with the game mechanics as they got better and better with each release. And so by the time we get to A Thief's End, it was really immersive to a point where I didn't want the story to end, but I was glad that it did so far. I don't think Naughty Dog's coming out with another Nathan Drake story, but even the expansion pack with Elena and gosh, it's been a while since I played it. Who is she with? It's 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 a game. It's Chloe. a Lost Legacy. It's a spinoff with Chloe and Nadine. Nadine, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. And it's really good too. And it feels like an appropriate spinoff of that series, even without Nathan in the picture. Of course, he comes up several times <laughs> appropriately enough, but you'd have to obviously play the games to understand that and really sort of get some of the end jokes. But it does feel like a movie franchise. It feels like you've lived with these characters for, for so long that you want to see where their story eventually ends. And for me, the games had a satisfactory ending for all of these characters. I never felt like I needed to revisit him or them anymore after we got those. The movie honestly made me want to start playing the game again. Same. <laughs> <laughs> like I really wanted to cue this up. but. I've got enough in my backlog that it would be really, really difficult for me to just kind of throw in, maybe just playing the first sequence of Uncharted 2, because I think this is great. So being able to on the screen, on the big going to be a challenge, because we were spectators at that point. We weren't participants. And so when it came to expectations, I wonder for you, being probably more connected to the Drake universe and the immersion that you had, what kind of expectations did you have going into seeing a film that was delayed and like my Flash movie, <laughs> getting a series of directors that you know leave and go, you know leave and come by and just back and forth. Where were you at when the movie finally released? Well, it's no secret for you that 
I was incredibly nervous. I mean, anybody that follows me on any sort of social media would know that as well, because I was very vocal about it just with my love for the series. I have had several directors that I think would be excellent for this film attached. Well, I guess I didn't have them attached, but there were several directors that I feel like would have been just an incredible fit for this movie attached to it throughout its production. I think it started honestly back in like 2008, which is insane (laughs) that a movie took like 14 years to actually get to the point where it was in front of our eyes. And like everyone else, I wanted Nathan Fillion who is almost the twin of voice actor Nolan North to be this character in the movie. And we even got an awesome Uncharted short film, a fan film that starred Nathan Fillion, which middle of the 2010s, which made it even worse. Because then when you see that, you're like, that's how a movie should look. And even to this day, Patrick, that short film is where I would point people to say, this is 10 minutes of what I wanted from the movie that we got this time. But Nathan Fillion kept getting older, and we sort of let that ship sail, sadly, to the point where Sony started making deals, and Mark Wahlberg was originally going to be attached to be Nathan Drake, which, thank goodness, I guess it got delayed in a way, because that would have been even worse, in my opinion. But we got to the point where they couldn't do that, because again, they had taken so long, and so they had to bring somebody else in. But back to the directors, I mean, there were so many interesting directors attached to this at one point you know guys like dan trachtenberg for one who i absolutely love i think would have been an incredible choice he made a short film based on the video game portal which is absolutely excellent and he was originally before he started directing movies he was on a podcast reviewing video games talking about them and so i thought he would be a great choice for this Sean Levy was at one point attached to direct this movie. The guy who made Free Guy, right? Like, think about the talent that we had, and we could have had Travis Knight was, I believe, the last one announced. And even him coming from the world of animation, which I absolutely adore his work and saw him make one of the best live-action Transformers movies recently in Bumblebee. And it was like, yes, yes, yes. And then he went and got Ruben Fleischer, the guy who made Venom. But to his credit, you know, he'd also made Zombieland, which was a hit. Zombieland 2, nah, you know. He had a tone that I didn't particularly love. And all of this, you know, Tom Holland got cast. And it, none of it really worked for me, to be honest with you. I was very nervous going in. And the movie confirmed many of my, I guess, reservations that I had going into it about the casting and about, in general, the ability to make this series work on screen. I would say it like this. Once upon a time, this type of genre, we yearned for video games to be made in this kind of genre because they could do it in a way that movies were not able to, and we wanted to be immersed in that storytelling. Now, we want our movies to be made to mimic that same incredible experience that we had in a cinematic, immersive manner in a video game, and it doesn't work. It cannot work in a movie like, in a story like this, where you are Nathan Drake. You're him. The POV, and don't give me that, like, hardcore Henry first-person shooter, like, POV in a movie thing. Like, that was crazy, too. But, like, you just can't quite replicate it in the same way. So for me... Going in, I was incredibly nervous, incredibly cautious, but all these delays, all my love for this series, I even replayed Uncharted 4 a couple of weeks ago because it came out in a remastered version, which was really interesting going into this, I will tell you, (laughs) considering the story that we got in the movie. But I think I was able to get myself to this mental place where I was sitting in that chair going, I have separated. Whatever I see on this screen, if it's trash, I expected it to be trash, (laughs) and I don't care because I have the games. And if it's decent and I have fun, 
then that's cool. That's this can exist as its own little universe and its own little thing, and it will never change and take away what I have in the games, what I can go back to and play at any time. And it was just honest to God, Patrick, a very deliberate mental exercise and emotional exercise that I put myself through with this movie to get prepared. I'm probably going to have to do something very similar with the Lord of the Rings TV series coming up in the fall because I care so much about that too. And it worked. It worked to the point where I was able to sit down, enjoy this for what it was. I can, I can sit here and nitpick and tell you every single fault I have with it. And there's the line, it's a long list of things that I would change or not do the way they did. But my son and I had fun. We laughed. We smiled. We walked out of it kind of shaking our heads like, eh, that was fine. And that is, because of my expectations, that fine became, that was really fun. And I'd kind of like to see more of that, or I'd like to watch that again. And it was just a really weird but neat and overall satisfying experience. Sorry, I rambled. No, that's okay. I think the short answer is that you enjoyed it based off of your lower expectations, which I did too. I, my experience was doubled in its enjoyment because this is one that my wife wanted to go see. She happened to be off on Friday. And so I asked her, do you want to go see this movie? She said, what's it about? And I said, oh, it's an adventure story. It's got Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland. She goes, well, yeah, I'll go see that. Because she, liked, she likes those actors. And so having, having no perspective, having no history with the series, it's really fun to watch her reaction to things. And I asked her, so what do you think? She goes, that was really fun. And I said, I agree. I had a really good time watching that. Like any adaptation, whether it's a book to movie, whether it's a video game, to movie, whether it's a comic book to movie. I mean, we were reviewing two weeks in a row, two adaptations. I didn't realize until after watching Marry Me that it was based off of a graphic novel. Wow, blows my mind. So adaptations are always going to run the risk of having your core audience, your loyalists who are like, that's not at all what I was thinking. And so I have in my head, created a personal standard when it comes to adaptations of properties that I really enjoy. That standard is, does the tone match the source material? And if you're adding or taking away characters or plot, are you doing it to advance your own story? Case in point, really enjoyed the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book series. And I really enjoyed the movie adaptation. The cast was wonderful. The fact that Douglas Adam was was a consultant and look, you know, Aaron's making this face like, yeah, whatever. But I really enjoyed it because when you watch a movie like that. Tonally, it fits right into what the absurdity of that series was, and there were added characters. But the fact that Douglas Adams was a consultant on that, he essentially gave his blessing to add these characters to it and to create a subplot for these other characters. The Percy Jackson movies, on the other hand, were terrible. And the reason why is because what made the books work was the modern take on mythological gods. And what did the, my man Chris Columbus, who I love for Home Alone, what did he do? He went back to a traditional way. He lost the essence of what made the books so much fun and really original where Rick Riordan says, look, let's make Zeus a guy, a god who's in a three-piece suit. Why? Because he's the king of the gods. Let's put Poseidon in some board shorts. Yes, absolutely. And it really disappointed me. Adding to that the fact that they added other characters that didn't really make sense to the plot frustrated me. So when I watch Uncharted, I have to think Tom Holland is way too young to be Nathan Drake. Mark Wahlberg is way too young to be Sully. This adventure reminds me a lot of Uncharted 4 because it is. At the same time, I noticed so much more about the story that was pulling from each one of the games. I asked myself, how do these work as a cohesive story? And for me, this felt like a modern day adventure. Not the most well executed by any means, but it was a good modern day adventure for people that don't know the franchise. 
So what people are seeing is, oh, this is the birth of Nathan Drake as a character. This is an origin story, if you will. And they're getting to see him in a way that is somewhat unreasonable. I think it's unfair to compare him to Indiana Jones because when you look at Indiana Jones, he's very much a practical effects character. Harrison Ford did all of his own stunts, and so everything that you see him doing was very much organic. It was granular. It was on the ground. And so when you watch Nathan Drake, the big thing about him is his incredible grip strength. His, he's really strong. I have a hard time seeing Tom Holland in that strong role. Nathan Drake is a strong dude who has muscles and who is bulky. Nathan Fillion is a fantastic Nathan Drake. Why? Because he looks like that. But we also got Firefly when all this stuff was initially being announced. And his character in Firefly was almost like an intergalactic version of Nathan Drake. So Very much. you just doubled down on all this stuff. So it's difficult to make that separation. So what I had to do was choose, just like you, to say, Tom Holland is going to be Nathan Drake. We're not going to recast this guy if there's a sequel. And so I need to either buy into it and be willing to suspend my disbelief that some of this stuff doesn't make sense or doesn't work for me, or I just cast it off and say, that was good, I'm done with it. And I came out of it going, I kind of want to see more, just like you. I'm not going to think that, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, the first entry from Uncharted was okay. The second one blew my mind. Maybe that's what's going to happen here. <laughs> I don't think that's what's going to happen. But in my head, I was like, I liked it enough to want more. And maybe the sequel is going to be a lot better because now we don't have to get used to Tom Holland as Nathan Drake or Mark Wahlberg as Sully. And I also have to, like you, put those other, put the property aside because I don't want to hear Nolan North's voice in my head. I want to hear Tom Holland. I want to hear, right. I want to hear Mark Wahlberg. I want them to give me their interpretations of these characters. And so for the most part, I thought it was good. I thought the big things that I wanted to see, the big set pieces and some of the dialogue here and there, I thought it worked. There were obviously some misses, but it wasn't enough for me to go, gosh, they really screwed that up. Look, when it comes to a video game franchise or any kind of property that you're adapting, you're going to make people mad. And I think unless you're Michael Bay, your directors are going to want to feel like they're going to pay some tribute to their fans and make them feel like, hey, we care about these characters. So for me, I don't feel like I was dissed. I don't feel like my fandom was thrown in the garbage. It could have been done better, but I think it has room to grow. And I hope that's what happens. I hope that if we get a sequel, it's going to learn, it's going to hear, and it's going to be like, you know, the Sonic people who are like, yeah, Sonic didn't look anything like he does in the video game. We listened to the fans. And now what do we have? We have a potential solid sequel to a really successful first entry in Sonic. Maybe we'll get that same thing. Maybe the studios will listen to the fans and say, what could we do better? I don't know if I want to go that route and let crowdsourcing be the thing that makes a movie better. This is not Kickstarter for, for filmmaking. But at the very least, the first entry is out there and we have the potential to improve upon it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that they paid enough respect to the film or to the video game series clearly naughty dog was consulting on this i mean this is made by sony's arm that is like just dead set on putting out movies for other properties they're all going to be kind of middling at best there's no way like if they make a god of war movie based on the new god of war series it's just it can't reach that height even the last of us it may be a phenomenal series. Luckily, that's coming from an HBO. It's a prestige. It's a series. A lot better opportunity to handle it. It's also very dramatic. It's not all about explosions and gigantic, you know, trains that are hanging off the side of a cliff or whatever. But I think that the tone, you got that right. The tone is there. In the execution, perfect? No, absolutely not. And is Ruben Fleischer and his personal tone perfectly aligned for this not quite but it's at least in the ballpark and it keeps it close enough to be fun and to not ever have me like just 100 percent check out right i may have rolled my eyes a few times the whole cat thing i was like this is stupid like this is just dumb this would not be in an uncharted video game 
Nate doesn't waste his time going to buy a cat or Sully to make a joke. Like, that's not a Nathan Drake kind of joke. It's just dumb. Just a silly thing in there that I think was put in there for kids, right? It's a family-friendly movie, which is great. It's crossing over into different generations. It's bringing this franchise into a wider appeal, and you've got to do things like that. So for me, I'm like, that's really dumb. But I'm not going to let that sink my enjoyment of the film because it's one bad joke or one joke that isn't for me, I should say, maybe, is the way to put it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, got room for improvement. It's like a lot of movies. But this genre is hard to ace. As much as I love it, there are only a handful of what I would call masterpiece-type films in it. There's a lot of, like, really fun stuff. But it's really, really difficult to make top, top, top tier put all the pieces together and well and you have you you have to commit to a tone you have to commit to a certain way that you're going to tell your story and the way that lucas and spielberg do with indiana jones there is a tone there that stays consistent throughout all three movies even though temple of doom feels different than the first and third I enjoy it equally as much because it maintains that tonal consistency. Like you, I was a little thrown back by what is this whole cat thing? Was that in the games? Do I remember that? No, I don't think I remember that because it's been a while since I've played it. And I'm like, did I miss something? But you're right. When you put together a movie that you want to capture a wide audience, because one, that's more gross profit for your film. You don't want to isolate. You are sacrificing a bit of the integrity of the franchise. Take Mortal Kombat, for instance. The latest iteration of Mortal Kombat probably captured tone and mythology and all this stuff, but it was for a specific audience. I'm not taking my kid to see that. But if I had to choose to watch that or the original Mortal Kombat, that is probably completely hokey, I'm going to choose the 1990s version because of the fact that it felt like a video game experience that I know when I watch Mortal Kombat, I know about all the dark, violent, and over-the-top fatalities. Yes, that's character of it. And we didn't really get that in the 1990s version, but I enjoyed the 1990s version, even though it's not really good, because of the fact that it captured something at the time of what that franchise was doing, the success of the franchise, essentially, the game franchise. I think what hurts Uncharted is that it comes probably, what, three, four years after the last game, and it's really starting to put itself in a position to say, we're really creating this as using the source material to tell our story. And at that point, I can, I can get on board with it because it's not trying to capture the success of Uncharted as a series. It is trying to take the things that made Uncharted so successful, like Nathan Drake's quips, like the big action set pieces, which by the way, I thought were a lot of fun. I loved the fact that we get thrown into the movie like in Uncharted 2 or in the, in the plane sequence. I thought the ships were really a lot of fun. And in an, in an adventure series, especially one that's based off of a video game, I think there's more liberty and more grace that you can give to a filmmaker for having a little bit more absurdity. I mean, look, when we are showing Nathan and Chloe on this giant cargo box and they're not flying off of it, but they're they're ultimately like getting saved by by a parachute <laughs> near the end, there's a part of me that's like that's so unrealistic, but I'm thinking, wait, if Tom Holland wearing a Spider-Man outfit, would we say the same thing? No, we wouldn't because of the fact that it depends on how you translate those types of set pieces. Would you ever, like my wife turned to, turned to me and she said, those helicopters would never be able to pick up those ships. Probably not, but they look cool and you create this whole ship chasing scene in the air. Are you kidding me? It was a ton of fun to watch and it makes the opportunity available to watch some great fight sequences. So at that point, I'm not trying to nitpick those things. I'm like, look, I would love to have played that in the video game. I'd love to have been able to jump from ship to ship or fight these bad guys. That's a cool video game set piece. 
and we got to see it on the big screen. So my regret is that I didn't get to play that as Nathan Drake, but it was a ton of fun to watch. I agree with you wholeheartedly and have some thoughts on that. For one thing, it's I'll go back to where you started with saying how they tweak the thing that we know to make it their own. And I really appreciated that because by I never expected Uncharted 4 to be like such of the basis of this first movie. But there are multiple set pieces and plot points pulled directly from Uncharted 4 with slight variations. Those slight variations, for example, in the ships, when they capture the ships, for one thing, they're chasing a different treasure. It leads to the exact same cove and ship type discovery in the exact same way, because I just replayed Uncharted 4. You literally, as Nathan Drake, you swim underneath a little bitty rocky underwater cove and you come up and you come out of the water. I screenshotted it when I was playing Uncharted 4 this last time. It's one of those iconic shots. And they recreated that in the movie. It's the same exact live action version of those ships. Again, different treasure. They get on there in the game. Nathan Drake has a sword fight with the villain of the film. So bringing the swords into play was both an homage to the games and also a way to help get around the big uncharted problem in adapting it in that in the video games, every other chapter is you picking up enormous amounts of guns and ammunition and just shooting things over and over and over and over and never getting hit. You can't do it in a movie. It doesn't work. We would laugh if we had Tom Holland suddenly like picking up golden shotguns and rocket launchers and just firing one and then running around and grabbing a pistol and just killing wave after wave after wave of enemy. That's not how it's going to work in a movie. So you have to tone it way down. You bring the villain down to like one or two people. You give them a couple of henchmen instead of an army of endless supply of henchmen like in the video games. And you use that sword fight as a cool reference and a tie-in in that fight scene. Another thing, he's when he gets to the ship, it's his brother that he's actually seeing in the video game, but that gets replaced by Sully. So it's a really cool little twist where the same kind of thing is happening in that moment, emotionally speaking and story plot point speaking, but it's a different character. So it's, it's a little different. And I love stuff like that. The scene from the auction, again, pulled directly from Uncharted 4. That is like to a T almost what goes down in that film. Again, with the absence of Brother Sam, because Sam is part of the trio with him and Sully in the video games that are taking this act. Sam is the actual guy stealing it instead of Sully. So Sully stands in as Sam in this movie in several ways, which I thought was a really cool, unique way to adapt that material. Starting off with the plane, which I think is an absolutely atrocious CGI sequence, just like it was in the trailer. It looks terrible. But the reason it, it looks cooler on the big screen, though, it's more forgiving on IMAX because it's so bombastic. Part of the reason I think it's so ridiculous is because, again, the unfilmable or unadaptable nature of video games. Tom Holland's human. You just talked about it. Realistic. Your wife was like, how are they staying on there? Well, if we were playing the game, we wouldn't. We would assume Nathan Drake would stay on there. You think he could really climb his way up those crates in the air? No. Or a hanging train off the you know mountains? No, he can't do those things. Even Alex Honnold couldn't do those things. And I guarantee you, Nate doesn't have better, stronger fingers than Alex Honnold. So the point is, you have a human, realistic character doing slightly superhuman feats in a video game, it's easy to make that jump because it's not full-on science fiction, right? In a movie, when you CGI Tom Holland jumping from place to place because he can't humanly make that big of a jump, it looks terrible and dumb. And you're like, whatever, <laughs> like that can't, that's silly. You know, it, it just looks fake in a way. And so that plays into this as well. But from an action set piece standpoint, I wanted to point out, I thought it was really cool that we started with that because to me, that's another homage to Uncharted 2 because that's how Uncharted 2 starts. The difference being it's a train. Nate wakes up, 
He doesn't know where he's at. He's like groggy. He's looking around and he's like, oh, I'm hanging off the edge of a cliff and there's a train and there's like three train cars. I got to climb up and fight dudes and yada, yada, yada and get my way back in there. And what happens as he's fighting his way up? Things break and he falls back down, has to start over again. It's exactly the same thing. So it's like a blend of that opening sequence in Uncharted 2, which is the game that has Chloe introduced. So it's a perfect tie-in and just kind of like, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tie these things together. But also Uncharted 3 has a very similar plane sequence where literally this is how he gets down is this parachute crate thing. If I recall, like I'm almost positive that's what happens. So those things are very referency <laughs> on an intentional level. And the way that they put all of these different pieces from the different games together to make this, I just thought was really, really fun. And, you know, had it been maybe a slightly more gamey tone, you know, I, if I would have like translate, put this into a video game, right? Like you mentioned, even with the pirate sequence at the end, which was absolutely phenomenal and incredible and memorable. Like I would have loved to play through this. It felt like playing through one of the games because it took us on that same narrative journey between set piece and drama and puzzle solving and character conversation and depth and relationship building, just like the games are known for doing. And that's what makes Naughty Dog so special. So I liked all that. I liked that there was a Naughty Dog sticker. Did you catch it? I didn't. I read about it. And I, I, I one of the reasons I, I want to go back is to just see all the references that I missed, just experience those again. So fast. Like he opens that chest in mm -hmm. Sully's apartment or house or whatever apartment i don't know penthouse thing anyway like as he does it flashes at the bottom of that chest on the inside cover is a, a no i freaked out and i like nudge my son and he's like he's like stop leave me alone what are you talking about i don't see it because it's gone you know and uh but the, the other reference is like him climbing right the oh the the whole thing with the cross so it's the same cross from uncharted 4 acquired slightly differently used slightly differently also was a key in uncharted 4 but for a different type of puzzle so that was a cool little same but different twist the climbing on the ship they take very specific care to show him having to get on the boards of the ship and he actually i think does as good of a job as anybody live action could possibly do of moving with his arms and legs in the way that Nathan Drake has to reach out and grab for another ledge. I thought that was cool. And yes, I was looking for that level of detail. Him jumping on the rope and sliding over to knock a guy off the side of the pirate ship absolutely happens in some of the games, like constantly, like you do it off of cranes and stuff. Jumping and sliding over crates, you know, parkour running during that chase sequence where he's chasing Chloe, pushing through the crowds that looked like it does in the video game. There's a moment where the timer takes a second to pause once he's when they're going after the ships. Finally, they're on their way to the tropics and he's got his white shirt on for the first time, his iconic white shirt. And then there's another pause when he puts on the gun holsters for the first time. So, I mean, all that stuff, man, like the movie was good enough that that was I was getting my fan service, which is why they make this movie. That's the only reason to make it is because it's fan service, because the games yeah. exist and we already love them. So give us something else to enjoy and kind of Google at. Yeah. I think when you look at uncharted as a property, yes, it was fan service, but I think it was also a test bed for, could this be an adventure story that has a little bit more franchise ability to it? Because obviously they didn't start with uncharted one when they decided to make this movie, they start <laughs> at the end essentially to tell the beginning. And I don't think that was a bad idea at all because most of uncharted four dealt with nathan growing up you had the was it was it uncharted for that you have the the oh the yeah the orphanage origin. was another one yeah. yeah all of that happens with sam in uncharted 4 as well so you're getting a lot of what i think would be an appropriate way to start the story now it would have been interesting for sony to say well let's let's tell them let's tell the video game story let's start with just this guy but at that at that point tom holland's not the guy you want to put in that position because his stature, his physicality is, I think, one of the struggles that you and I both have is that he's, he's, he's limber, 
but he's a small dude. And my wife even joked at the beginning when he knocked the, when the guy got knocked off and he apologized to him, she leaned over and said, that's something Spider-Man would say, wouldn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Because Tom Holland is Spider-Man in the same way that Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. The problem is Tom Holland has had so much success with this one character that putting him in another video game or another almost superheroic role, it's going to be very difficult. He, he's a, he's a very, he's fit, but he's not like Jason Momoa fit. Like Jason Momoa has the muscular nature or the muscular physique that I would believe from the neck down. That's a, that's a Nathan Drake physique. And that's where I had to kind of suspend my disbelief and just enjoy the fact that Tom Holland in this role is going to be my Nathan Drake. I made a comment earlier about the fact that if he were in a Spider-Man outfit, no pun intended, that we'd have more believability. And I think that's true because the fact, the fact is, if he were in a Spider-Man outfit doing those same things, we wouldn't have those kinds of comments because we believe that a superhero with superhuman strength could do that. Batman could do that. Superman could do that. The Flash could do that. Nathan Drake is a character that the general population doesn't know. And because you attach that plus a human being who doesn't look the part initially, it's very difficult to buy into that, especially when it's the very first scene of the movie. So I don't think the CGI was atrocious. I thought it was very much an unbelievable thing to start the movie with, even though I loved it. Would Nathan Fillion's physique, somebody in his kind of body, would that be more believable? Maybe not more believable, but I think it would be more consistent because I can believe someone with huge muscles pulling himself up and struggling a little bit. And I would be willing to forgive that more than a guy who is just coming from New York and who is a science guy <laughs> living in, you know, just out of high school. There's, there's that problem of separating a Hollywood character and an actor because you want to put him as he's successful in one part and you want to put him in other things. So it's difficult to make him think, oh, yeah, that's Nathan Drake. No, that's Spider-Man, especially when they have consistency. I heard it called this, and I thought it was the most perfect way to describe it. Someone said it's Tom Holland cosplaying as Nathan Drake. And I was like, that? Or Peter Parker cosplaying as Nathan Drake. And that is exactly how it felt to me. And and I, I don't fault him. He's doing his best to try. Like I genuinely felt him making an attempt to be a little bit more on the dramatic side, a little less on the quippy side. He tries to have those serious moments, but it's tough, man. It is so tough when you've become iconic as a thing that says lines in a certain way. And when you paired that with the Mark Wahlberg nature of Sully, that is nothing like Sully other than the dialogue that it's written like Sully, but it's not delivered like a Sully. And I I was talking to someone else too, about how I feel like with Mark Wahlberg, I I don't dislike Mark Wahlberg. I actually like him in quite a few films. The problem is that for me, Mark Wahlberg cannot be put into a film and expected to adapt to a role. Mark Wahlberg has to be cast as Mark Wahlberg. Like you need, you know, you know what you're going to get and the character has to be that character and then you can get Mark Wahlberg and it'll be a good fit. But you can't put him just anywhere and expect him to morph and act essentially into that role. I will give one caveat, Patrick. When we got the closing sequence for that five seconds and, and he doesn't really say much, but when I finally got to see him with a mustache on and his green shirt, holding a giant revolver and catching a cigar. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we can get there. So, uh, you know, I will hold out some hope. I did love Chloe. I thought that she did a really good job for the most part, trying to keep her Australian accent. It comes and it goes sometimes. Uh, But I thought she grew on me to the point where I was like, yeah, I could see this character who's been so used to like betrayal and double crosses because that's what, a, everybody in this whole series deals with, but specifically that's one of the things that Chloe is built on. I could see that, and I was excited about her growth. The one I didn't like was the villain. For me, I just didn't think that 
the villain was a and not Antonio Banderas's villain. He's very video gamey and kind of fits in line with some of the bigger villains in the series. But Uncharted Four has Nadine, who is a mercenary, runs a company called Shoreline, has all these henchmen. It's very clearly what this Braddock character is based off of. I thought she was done a complete disservice. There's no character development for her. She is flat, 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 flat. It's a cool fight sequences at the end but for the most part it's just her and a couple of you know really to me lame henchmen that added almost nothing from that standpoint and i thought that that was a little bit of a miss when it came to adapting in nadine because nadine in the games is super charismatic and of course you know we get uncharted 4 plus all of lost legacy to develop her. We get Uncharted 2 with Chloe and then Lost Legacy to develop her. So it's really tough to like kind of anywhere near match that. So, you know, it was it was hit or miss the whole way. But for the most part, it definitely was workable. Yeah. And you mentioned almost half a dozen characters. And while Uncharted as a whole doesn't have that many characters to develop, you want to be really careful about how many you introduce. The The fact that we get Sam's introduction in this movie i think was really a smart move especially for tom holland as nathan drake because he needed something to latch on to dramatically otherwise i think we would have gotten peter parker spider-man more than anything else because that's part of who nathan drake is and what we love about him is that he can be very sarcastic and very arrogant and cocky but he has these other characters that sort of sustain him they sort of level him and Chloe is one of those. Sully, as an older character, does that because they have history. And Sam does that in Uncharted 4. And I think that that was a really smart move to anchor him early with Sam to have a reason to continue to do what he does throughout the movie. At one point, I think he tells Sully, I'm not doing this for you. I'm going to do this for Sam. And then I'm out of here. And, and very, very much a, you know, kind of a, I call it a cheap line. It's not really creative but it does say a lot about who nathan is as a character that he's anchored by family this is something we don't get to know in the video games until way later we just get to be thrown into this swashbuckling sarcastic amazing grip strength adventurer and that's all we care about in all honesty i mean i don't care about his history i care about the mythology of discovering gold i mean this is what we're playing by the time we get to U4, now we are into, oh, that's why he is the way he is. Oh, I didn't know that he was actually, grow he actually grew up in a Catholic school or an orphanage run by nuns. And that was, it was a little jarring when I started playing that. I was like, oh, I don't want to go back. I want to just give me more, give me more Nathan Drake as an adult. But I was glad we did. And this movie doubles down on that, makes, makes sure that we are anchored in with Nathan Drake to have some kind of agency for why he does what he does. I think when you look at Mark Wahlberg, the issue that I had with him was not necessarily his performance, but the fact that when you deal with any kind of animated film or a story that's done entirely in CG, you know voices. And Sully's voice is that gruff, kind of seasoned. He's been through the ringer. Mark Wahlberg is not that way. His voice doesn't do that. And I, I get it. We're, we're dealing with younger versions of these characters. And that was the hardest thing for me to get used to, was the fact that we are taking a significant step back in the, in the timeline to get to know these two characters. Correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but was the obsession with gold was that something that was a character trait of sully's oh yeah or was no, that like some... yeah okay. no i mean i think they did that's what i was saying i think that sony did not sh cut this short like they their involvement is very clear to me because the characters themselves and the the traits that we see kind of shown in them are very clearly ones that have been displayed by their future selves there's allusions to you know sully and there's comments about like is so is sully just going to cut and run and you know and sully and sam have this history in uncharted 4 that is never really clearly spoken about but they 
just do not like each other. They don't trust each other. And this gives that a, a name, right? It gives it a purpose and a point of why now you understand <laughs> because Sully left him. It makes sense why that happened. And so, yeah, I, for me, I think that it does. There's, there's also some, a little bit of uh, hesitation in Uncharted 1 when they are dealing with like the gold there that they're trying to find the gold that, you know, Nate's a little bit like, yeah, is Sully going to be here to pick me up or not? <laughs> you know? So yeah, that shows up occasionally. Okay. So I, I, I just, I'd forgotten if that was something that was, that was significant because it seemed like a surprise to me. I, I never, I'd always thought of Sully as like the loyal guy who was always going to be there for Nate. And he was, I mean, that's, that's who he is. I just, I think I'd forgotten about this obsession and this matter of fact, like, look, it's a business, it's a job. So if that's the case, the consistency of that throughout the movie was there. I just didn't remember if that was something that was invented for the Wahlberg Sully or if that was part of the video game franchise. No, I think really the purpose is to get us character development. So you understand like they all start that way. And Chloe is that perfect example of that to show and Chloe and Sully between the two of them showing that like, this is a game that there is no loyalty in it. And we see that it essentially took all of this time and these adventures and these things leading up to where Nate and Sully got to the point where they became special and could trust each other. But even in the video games, you know, like I said, Sam doesn't trust Sully. He never got over that because he didn't have this buildup of adventures with Sully. Well, <laughs> who knows now once they get him out of the prison that he was in a, in Uncharted 4, which it, the timeline is all jacked up. So that's why I, I've it's kind of nice, honestly, that they changed it so much, because if they had just tweaked it like one or two details, I would be nitpicking going, oh, they didn't do that right. But instead, they're doing it so out of order that it's like. This is its own. I'm almost looking at it as like a multiverse of madness scenario where it's like this is this other uncharted universe and it kind of went down slightly askew and i can enjoy that for what it is while loving my masterpiece of video games over here for what they are <laughs> yeah right <laughs> well i'm glad you brought up some of the easter eggs earlier i wanted to point out um a couple of them that that i found really uh, well satisfying one was incredibly satisfying another one was kind of like a ah that's fun i absolutely enjoyed seeing nathan don the pistol holster you know he was hinting with with his outfit but not only that that moment that he does it it cues the uncharted theme i almost teared up a little bit i was like i oh did my gosh, have we not heard this yet it's so slowed not... down i know and i'm like oh, i don't think we've heard this yet this is amazing no. and i kind of nudge my wife and she's like what i'm like it's it's, it's the theme it's the theme and she's, she's like, like what it's tom holland putting on a pistol out what are you doing there and i was like okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be in this moment and it just it made it so wonderful and i was actually humming it as we were leaving <laughs> just like what do you say it's the uncharted theme babe i also love the use of the font to show the locations i thought that was pretty fantastic as a designer i, I think it's always clever to throw that in there uh, one of the other moments was of course nathan not nathan nolan north's cameo uh, you and i talked a little bit about this offline and <laughs> Go ahead. I thought it was no, clever. I'm glad, I thought glad it was you clever. enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that it wasn't quite one of the the top Easter eggs for you, but mm -hmm. I, I always like seeing Nolan North on camera, uh, especially when I think he did the playthrough of The Last of Us. I thought that was a lot of fun watching him react to everything, even though he had never played it before. But even uh, watching him play through Uncharted, I thought was pretty fantastic. So just seeing his reaction, watching him. Uh, interact with this Nathan Drake, I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. I, when I saw him, I had an immediate like, <gasps> Oh my God. Like moment. I, in fact, I probably squealed a little out loud. I, I was not the only person in the theater, even at my press screening that like had an audible reaction, like it's Nolan North. And then he spoke and I was like, I wish that he would have just been sitting there. Right. And we would have, had the camera very clearly like pay attention to him as he's kind of like looking at Tom Holland all funny as he's coming out of the ocean maybe. But the line delivery was just so over the top cheesy. 
I was just like, man, y'all got to give this man more credit. He is the goat of voice acting where him and Troy, Troy Baker kind of combined are, in my opinion. So, like, you got to give him more than that. It was just so, so cheesy. Like, oh, I've fallen out of a plane in my day a time or two. Like, it just like, whatever he says, it's like, it's so stupid. It was so stupid. I mean, it, yes, it made sense. And I, I just, I chuckled at it. You know, it's not like it ruined the movie or anything. I was, I was glad to see him in it as well. Yeah. A little too on the nose for you, I guess you could say. But <laughs> yeah, the, the fact is, would you have, ta- would you have liked it more if his dialogue was better? Because his oh, voice, absolutely. Yeah. his voice is what people recognize. I guess that's the thing. I wouldn't have mind him saying something. Right. But like, yeah, yeah just, I just didn't thought it was kind of lame, <laughs> lame the way the scene played out. But yeah, yeah. when I first saw him, I, I was geeking. Yeah, I, I was too. And I kept going, that's Nolan North. That's Nolan North. And she's like, I don't know who that is. It's like, he was the original. I mean, it, it's, it's, I was the guy in the theater with the other four people because we went during the day that was being annoyed by the, I, I reacted the same way that somebody did in Spider-Man No Way Home that I was like, stop talking. And I was like, okay, see, now I see why this is important. You want to tell your girlfriend about <laughs> things that they don't know about. And I was like, okay, good. That's cool. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I, those are the two big ones for me. I don't know if you had any other ones you wanted to bring up. but um, I think you- I rambled them all off. I was nervous <laughs> at first that the girl he was stealing the bracelet from at the very beginning, I was like, oh, my God, please don't like make this Elena. I was so worried that they were going to name drop Elena and have it be some weird tie back into thing where, you know, 15 years down the road, he meets her and they don't realize that she was this girl. He stole this bracelet from I was like, don't do that. So I don't yeah. think they're doing that. Thankfully. I don't think so either. I do like that. I like the use of the lighter throughout him constantly. Mm-hmm. That's a very, you know, video game tie in thing. Sam has that lighter. It does get used multiple times in the game for various functions and, and such and so uh, you know the the usage of the tech was cool the way that they used the phone and how he sent her off course by both checking her from a very strong dramatic moment honestly where he has to make a decision to like try and trick her and you know ultimately he wants her to not take the bait he hopes that she doesn't take the bait but he also knows deep down she's going to and I love the way that Holland plays that kind of dual emotion throughout that whole sequence of gearing up to do it, going through with it, and then waking up and ultimately making the call on the way and kind of giggling about it like, yeah, I knew she was going to do it. And that's very much Nathan Drake. Like That's how he rolls. Uh, he can love someone, but also never quite 100% trust them and, and know what the truth is going to be about their character, yeah. uh, even if he hopes for it to be different. And so... I thought that that was captured well. I did too. And overall, I, I think I have hopes for, for Holland and, and for the entire cast. I think the introductions that we get to the main cast is, um, is good. And the end of the movie sets up the possibility of a sequel. And it seems to be leaning uh, into the freshman entry of the game franchise, which kind of excites me. I, I, I think I remember talking to you about this as I was, as I was playing it. I was like, I don't like the mechanics of this game. Because they felt a little clunky, and you 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 reassured me they get so much better in the second game. So I'm hoping that the if this is the path that they're going down, that they don't get clunky when it comes to like plot and narrative. But I do personally like where this is going. I think that that first entry's story would really make a great sequel to this franchise, and and maybe really get us into a lot more of the the fun side of Nathan and Sully in their relationship and working together. Maybe they've been together for <laughs> several years at this point based on that in credit sequence or in the mid credit scene. But what about you? Are are you looking forward to this? Do you feel like, eh, that's okay? Or um, should this, as I would say, sleeping naughty dog lie with this? Yeah, <laughs> I read that pun in the notes and I was like, wow. That's you shake your head. That's fine. Patrick thing to say. I actually thought it was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I made a similar dumb jo- dog joke on the FF Plus episode. So if you people have listened to that, they'll just know that we're two of the same. I think it's really cool on one hand, and I was definitely getting giddy 
when they mentioned Nazi gold and I was putting two and two together and understanding what was getting ready to happen and what they were teasing with it being the first Drake adventure. The series has some supernatural elements to it, and that game is very much like that in the sense that a Pirates of the Caribbean has some supernatural elements to it, kind of like how they did with Jungle Cruise when they made that movie last year or the year before. I can't remember. It felt a lot like the Pirates of the Caribbean and how it played out supernaturally speaking. So I'm a little nervous about that. I think that they're never going to be able to go full on shoot them up, like I said. So it makes sense to lean into this direction to kind of give yourself something more stakes, higher stakes, more sinister to deal with in a sense, along with the treasure hunt. I'm not going to try, I'm trying not to spoil the plot. So I'm definitely interested. I'm excited to see more for, which is not what I thought I would be coming out of this. I would gladly go to a sequel and it seems to be doing really well. It's got on pace for, I think a $56 million four-day opening weekend, which is quite solid compared to the horrible kind of critical response that it got. And, you know, if it has some legs and if people go back and see it multiple times, I didn't pay to see it yet, but I'm going to go see it again because I want to throw some money its way and also just enjoyed it. I, I definitely want more. The caveat being, I am also nervous with it being, it's a, it's a win and a loss in a sense because or, or I guess there's pros and cons to it. it. You're doing a story that I'm familiar with. That gives me that interested part that's like, oh, I, cool, I want to see that on screen. But it also makes me a little nervous, Patrick, because how much time can we spend before they're supposed to be Nate and Sully? Because at that point, if we start encroaching on actual storylines from the game that are directly overlapping it's going to be harder for me to separate i think and i would love it if they would utilize some of the elements from one and maybe a couple of the other games in this next one in a in a way that they can transition it into its own direction from here like i want the series if it's going to be a franchise which is fine with me it's got to get away from the games you got to go tell your own stories I don't want to just go through the motions and go to Shamb you know, Shambhala and then, you know, Shangri-La and just go through the list of the same cities that Nate's explored over the course of the films. Like find a different place and a way to tell your treasure hunting story. And if they can do that, then I think I'll be on board until it, you know, wants to die. Yeah, I'll co-sign that because I think as long as you stay with that template, you're never going to get loyalty for your franchise independent of the property. And I think that's where a lot of your adaptations sort of lose their momentum. I mean, the Harry Potter franchise, I think is one of the more interesting ones because the movie adaptations are, they stay close to the books. I mean, they are, really are book to book adaptation, but then you have other franchises that don't do that. They take, again, I'll go back to Hitchhiker's Guide. I think there's a way to, tell adventure stories or tell stories in a universe, keeping that tone, maintaining that sense of, yeah, this feels like a Douglas Adams story, but letting it be its own thing with the characters that you've grown to love. That's what I loved about The Last Jedi, is I felt like it was taking those risks at saying, these characters are familiar enough that we can really dive deep into the mythology of Star Wars that not a lot of people know about. It's risky because <laughs> you're basically saying, I'm going to do my own thing with your characters. And for the toxic fan culture that exists, it can be a blessing and a curse depending on how it's executed. So I'm with you. I think I trust the Naughty Dog consultations. I trust Sony. But if you can give me new adventures of Nathan Drake, I think that reinvigorates my love for the franchise as a game property because now I get to live that adventure in a different way with a movie franchise yeah perfect yeah well that's going to do it for us thank you everyone for listening i'm off next week but aaron will be bringing conversation to you alongside joel winstead a film critic from north carolina who spearheads winston's reviews and they'll be bringing you their thoughts on cyrano so you'll want to come back for that 
Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.